begin looking at verse 10. We're going to look at numerous scriptures. This is the one we're going to start with. Um, I will tell you that in the next 25 minutes, I will be going rapidly. You probably won't be able to turn to all of the passages, but I'd encourage you uh, to take some notes, uh, put down uh, the references so you can get back to them uh, in the future. Those of you that have been coming to Garden Chapel know that this short series of sermons is called Salvation 101, not because they're insignificant or low level. It is the foundation, it's the bedrock of our Christian life. Nothing else matters more than our salvation. We have looked at a number of different passages in the past. Today we're going to look at a different aspect of our salvation. We're going to start where we were before. And that is with our position before Christ. What we normally think of as born again, trusting Christ, becoming a Christian, and then looking at how we are not only sanctified once for all time, but then sanctification on an ongoing basis. We call it living the Christian life, walking worthy, growing as a Christian. And then we will end, and very quickly at the end, we will look at perfect sanctification when we are away from all of the distractions of this life, all of the sins, all the temptations that we sang about. But in the middle, and that's the one we're going to concentrate on, Joe was singing about an altar. The Word of God is very clear that we are to offer our lives, our bodies as a holy and living sacrifice. There's one thing about a living sacrifice that's not true of the Old Testament dead sacrifices. Because once they're dead, they're on the altar, they don't go anywhere. Living sacrifices, and you all know this is the problem, living sacrifices tend to not like the heat. They don't like what is happening, and they want to crawl off off of the altar. Because it's hard being a living sacrifice. In fact, on your own, it's impossible. So let's look at that. We're going to basically look at the three aspects of salvation, three aspects of sanctification. Sanctification simply means set apart. And when you set something apart, by its very nature, if I take this book and set it apart from the pulpit over to here, I've set it apart from something to something. Sanctification always is that way. What are we set apart from? Sin, self, and Satan to the Savior. Sin, self, Satan, to the Savior. That's sanctification. Only can be done on the basis and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we're going to look at that. In fact, is the first one we're going to look at, and um, I'm, I, like I told you, we're going to look at our positional sanctification, what we call salvation. It's salvation past. And you go, what are you talking about? Salvation past is something that's his, ancient history? The answer is no, but it's Past in the sense that if you have trusted Christ, this is already true of you. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, it's simply not true of you. You do not have a position with Jesus Christ, with God the Father. The Holy Spirit has not taken up residence in you. But if you've trusted Christ, this is true of you. Positionally, you are sanctified. You're set apart from the old ways to the new. It's salvation past tense. For all true believers. It's set apart from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
positional sanctification is I'm set apart from the penalty that's due for my sin. That's death. That's eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Normally we call that hell. But we're set apart from the penalty of sin to the newness of life and, of course, heaven as the end result in the other direction. It is the possession of all true believers. If you are born again, if you have trusted Christ, this is your possession. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to somebody else. You have it. You keep it. It's yours. It's your possession. It is a permanent relationship with God and a permanent relationship to God. Last week, we said he gives unto us eternal life, not temporary life or something less than that, but it's eternal life. We have God's kind of life and we have a permanent relationship to God. It's not talking about fellowship at the moment. That's the next point. That one there um, is a little bit different. It is what we call spiritual birth. Born from above, born again, born of God, born of the Spirit. It's positional. Let's look at the passage that we've, I've asked you to turn to in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, you should find one under a pew chair. Hope you bring your Bible with you on a regular basis. I hope you take notes. I hope you uh, check out anything I say. Some of you are relatively new here. I invite you, I encourage you, I beg you to check out everything I tell you from the Word of God itself. I am not the final authority. The Word of God is the Holy Spirit. Uh, taking the Word of God is the final authority. But it says there in verse 10, it says, <clears throat> By this will we have been sanctified, that's our word, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now notice what it says. It says, we have been sanctified. I don't want to get technical here, but to make this say exactly what it says, I need to do a little bit of technicalities uh, type stuff. This is in the Greek in the perfect tense. Here's all that means. It is something that once and done has happened. It's a non-repeated action. It happens here. And it has full and complete results in the future. That's the perfect tense. So what it's saying here is what happened. This sanctification happened once, it's positional, and it has full and lasting effects, eternal effects in our lives. It's not something that's repeated. It is something that doesn't need to be repeated because the full effects continue on. We have been set apart from sin and self and Satan to the Savior. It's once, it's done. In fact, if you don't believe that, look at the end of the sentence. He did it once for all, upon one occasion. It's not something you repeat in your life. You can only be born physically once. You can only be born spiritually once. And if you think you can lose your salvation, guess what? You can't regain it because it's a once and done thing. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. The second point is going to say, and what do you do on the basis of that? On the basis of the foundation of that. Then you are expected and commanded by God to live as one who is saved. But it goes on in verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. 
But he, that is Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies become his footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So what he says is he sat down. If you check the Old Testament tabernacle, you check the Old Testament temple, you will find no chairs, no love seats, no couches, no recliners, no nothing. Why? Because if you were an Old Testament priest and you were on duty, you never ran out of sacrifices and offerings to offer. It was consistent, ongoing work. Jesus Christ of a different priesthood, not the Levitical priesthood, but the priesthood of Melchizedek, offered himself once for all time, for all people, for all sin. And then he did something no priest could do, sat down. Why? Complete, finished work. Nothing could be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it because it was a perfect work. Notice what it says at the end of verse uh, verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Again, our word. But the word perfected is the one I want to look at at the moment. First of all, perfected means complete or finished. But in Greek, it's also that perfect tense we talked about before. So it's kind of like the author pulled out all the stops of the Greek language. He uses the word that means completed. But then he puts it in the tense that means it was once and done and it has complete and lasting effects. You see, the work of Jesus Christ is a perfect work. It's a complete work. And it's one that does not have to be repeated and cannot be repeated. Not only on the cross, but in our own lives. There are numerous other passages. I'll quickly look at them. For example, another gem in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. It says this, By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In your salvation, how much do you have to brag about? What can you claim for yourself? The answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. You didn't participate in it. You didn't add to it. And you can't take away from it. It's a perfect work in Christ. So as a Christian, you go around bragging, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. You didn't have a thing to do with it. All you could do is receive it like a gift. John chapter 1, verse 12. You received it by faith. But you didn't add to it. You simply took what was already offered, already finished, and took it for yourself. That's what he said. I can't brag about my salvation. But what I can do, I can boast about the one who gave me God's wisdom, who gave me righteousness, that is a right standing with God, who sanctified me, who set me apart from my old kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. And he is the one that redeemed me. He paid the full, complete price for my sin, for my salvation. I can boast in that. So if we have something to brag about, we have something to proclaim, we absolutely do. 
And you can never be wrong about it. Pastor John just gave you a number of opportunities. Chris gave you some opportunities to reach out to people. Please take them. We have something we can boast about. It's the redemption. It's the salvation, uh, the sanctification, and the justification, the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. We can brag about Christ Jesus at all times. We could look at numerous other passages. We did that in the past, because, but I know I'm going to run out of time. So if you want the rest of my notes, write me an email. I'll send them to you. But we're going to go to the second one. And that is progressive sanctification. The one, as I mentioned before, it's salvation present. If you've trusted Christ, you are now in this one. It's salvation or sanctification present tense. No one ever wants a child born to their family or to anyone else that has failure to thrive. I know that's a medical term. It just means the the person is alive, but they're not growing. Sorry, folks, but there are so many Christians in this world today who have failure to thrive. There's no doubt that there was a time when they trusted Christ, but they have never lived out their salvation. They haven't grown. They haven't matured. They haven't become strong in the Lord and the power of His might. My challenge, my, the whole point of my message today is there is a place, there is a time that you need to make a decision, not only to trust Christ so you're saved, but a decision to say, I'm going to be a holy and living sacrifice I'm going to make my life count. I want this world to see Christ in me. I want my life to be different. I want it to affect everyone I come in contact with. I want to have a life that's worth living. You know I like to use the phrase to walk worthy of what Christ has done. I didn't originate that. It comes from the Word of God. We are to walk worthy of what Christ has done for us. That's salvation present doesn't make you more saved or less saved. It doesn't help you to get saved and it doesn't help you to lose your salvation. It's simply living out what's already true. Building the house on the firm foundation of our born-again experience, our born-again new life from Christ. It is to be set apart from the power of sin. Let's face it. If you're a Christian today, there's a battle going on. You say... You've got to be kidding. I'm a Christian. There's no battle. Life, you know, it's just real easy. I propose to you that you are not growing in your Christian life. Because if you are growing in your Christian life and you're living out what's true of you as a Christian, you are going to be in conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Period. That's just the way it is. And there are going to be other people that don't like you because of it also. Pastor Saeed stood up and preached the gospel. He did what he knew. And he is beating, being beaten horribly and treated horribly in prison today. You know what? Progressive salvation, progressive sanctification. There's a power that we fight against. But guess what? We're set apart from that power because we can live a vibrant, victorious Christian life. It doesn't mean it's easy. It simply means we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. It is possible to all believers. I already mentioned, there are a number of believers. You might be one of them. You say, I know 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, last year I got saved. But you know what? I really kind of take up a pew on Sunday morning and uh, I don't really speak up and I really don't serve the Lord. And I really, no, you really don't do anything. It's like, 
failure to thrive. You know what? It's not automatic. It's choices that you must make. And I'll prove to you, and you can look it up for yourself, that over and over again, the writers of Scripture use the imperative, a command to do something as a Christian. It's not a position. It's progressive. It's growing, getting stronger, maturing. It is a purposeful, persistent pursuit. It doesn't happen automatically. In fact, as I'll guarantee you, neutral will get you going in the wrong direction. It's just the way it is. But it requires you to have purpose and be persistent and to pursue it. Again, not adding to your salvation, living it out. In fact, there's one of the verses we'll look at. It says, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not because we're scared of God, but we realize what a precious possession our salvation is. And we want to use it to the fullest. That's what we do with something that is is of value to us. We take care of it. We don't trample it underfoot. We don't neglect it. We use it wisely. We use it purposefully. We take care of it. And we use it to the fullest. That's what God wants for us as Christians. It is also practical Christian growth. The just, the one who has already been made right with God, shall continue in the future to live by faith. It is living by faith. Prayer will always be a huge part of what we're talking about now. How does that look? In 1 Peter chapter Um, One, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because as it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now that last phrase is taken from the Old Testament from Leviticus chapter 20 verse 26. Where it says, thus you are to be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Now when you look at what Moses wrote, he is talking to the whole nation of Israel and saying, as a nation, I have called you to be my people. You are not to live like the Gentiles and the pagans and the unrighteous people around you. You are supposed to be totally unique of them, set apart from them. Now we know from Looking at the history of the Old Testament, over and over again they went back to serving those idols. And eventually God got tired of it and said, you're going into captivity, you know the story. But God had told them, be holy. I have set you apart as my nation. Live that way. Live as one set apart from the other nations. The Apostle Peter takes this and says, as individuals who have trusted Christ, you are to live a life that's different from the world around you, from the old nature, from all of the the temptations that confront all of us. How How do we do that? He says, and it is a command here, as obedient children. He tells us, because a lot of people say, well, if you teach and what you teach is a dangerous doctrine, you know, people can know they're saved and have security in their salvation. I'm going to tell you it's dangerous because if you don't live it out, God says he is a perfect father and he will discipline us. There's no doubt about that. He will do that. He will set us apart on the bench. Or he will take us out early 
Ask Ananias and Sapphira if you don't believe that. Ask the church in Corinth. If you don't believe that, look it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The point is this. He has given us something precious. And He expects us to use it to the fullest. In fact, as He commands us to do that. In fact, one of the passages that is used sometimes to to say the opposite is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, where it says this. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And they say, see, if you don't work to keep your salvation and add to your salvation, you will never get to heaven. It is not talking about heaven. It is talking about experience. See, when in this life, and it's on the basis of that we may share His holiness, and that is in verse 10 of that same chapter. It is talking about the ongoing Christian life. He wants us to live it out and live a holy life, walking with the Lord all the time that we're alive. Now, it's true that we will see the Lord in the future. But it's talking about living a holy life here and now. And he says, you need to pursue this kind of thing. So when I put this down there, the pursuit, I didn't invent that. It comes right from Scripture. I'm to pursue something. That is to experience the Lord in this life. Set apart to Him so that I experience living that holy life that we talked about. We could go on and look at a whole lot of other different passages, but I'd like you, if you would please, turn in Romans. I'm going to look at two passages in Romans. One you're probably very familiar with, that's Romans 12, but we're going to go to Romans 6 first. Because it's going to tell us the same thing two different ways. Sometimes we see it one place and we kind of get numb to it. But, in, but we're going to look at it two different places. In Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 11, it says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. So this is something that you need to put into practice. But alive to God. So it's something you make a choice about purposefully. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as a result of doing that, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments uh, uh, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Notice, he gives to do not. Do not. Don't let sin continue reigning in your body. That's the same principle as be ye holy as I am holy. Don't let that happen. Don't obey its lust. Don't go on presenting your body as an instrument of unrighteousness. Things that don't meet God's standard. And there are all kinds of them. We could go down lists if you wanted to. That's not my purpose this morning. But then he says, he goes from the negative to the positive, And you'll notice there right in the middle of verse 13. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Notice, and when it says, but present, that's imperative. It's a command. He says, as a believer, I'm commanding you, just like a father would his children, that this is how you live in our family. All of you have probably done this, and you've heard it. My parents did it. I did it to my kids. 
is I don't care what the other kids say. And I don't care what the other parents let their kids do. You're a part of this family, and in this family, we don't do that. Anybody ever hear that before? (laughs) Yeah, I knew. I knew that would probably do that. You know what? And I am 100% for that. Because you know what? There's a standard. And dads, you need to be the buck stops here. Our father says, you know what? you're living in my family, here's what I demand of you. Here's what I command of you. Here's what I expect of you. Now, don't put your hand up on this, but how many times after your father or your mother commanded you to do something, did you go do the opposite and pay a big price for it? Don't answer. I've done it. You've done it. The point is, he's not forcing us to do it. He's not making us do it. He's just saying, here's how you live in my family. My command is that you follow what I've asked you to do. As we saw before, obedient children. As one who is living like their father. Be holy as I am holy. Now, most of us don't know that passage too well. But let's turn to the one we all know. Or at least most of us do. Go to Romans chapter 12. First two verses. You've probably, if you've done any scripture memorization worth talking about, you probably memorized these two verses. In fact, let me do something. How many memorize Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? Eh, Okay, all of you that didn't put your hand up, you have an assignment. I'm telling you, this is an important, all the scripture is important, but this is really important for what we're talking about today. Here's what it says. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, sorry, I started reading from the New American Standard and got half of King James mixed in a few times because I wasn't paying attention. The point is this. It says that there is a command to present your body as a holy and living sacrifice. I mentioned that at the beginning of the sermon. You see, if you're going to make it count, uh, something given as a sacrifice is something totally given over to the use of someone else. We're not talking about getting saved. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this passage is not for you. It's not for you. It doesn't apply to you. You need to admit that you're a sinner, trust the finished work of Christ, and ask Him to save you. That's where you need to be today. But if you've been a Christian, I don't care if it's a long or short time, here's, here's one for you. Will you be 100% given over to serving the Lord? To being who He wants you to be? I can tell you, I was saved about three months, and I heard this, and I said... Man, it's great being saved, but you know what? I want my life to count. You know what the Lord did for us, Faye and I? We weren't even married yet. He said, I want you to go to Bible school. We landed up going to Word of Life because we realized we knew so little about the Bible that we would not be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't even know the Bible. So we spent a year at Word of Life. Wow, what a change that was. Because we learned the Word of God. That's all we did for a year. Read the Bible and studied and got equipped. Now, I'm not telling you that's what will happen to you, but that's what happened to us. It may be totally different. He might say, hey, okay, you want to be sold out for me? You're living a holy sacrifice? Hey, 
at work tomorrow, you're going to be a testimony. Instead of laughing at all the dirty jokes the guys tell, you're going to take a stand. Might be with your neighbor that you, you never got along with. You're going to actually be a good neighbor. I don't know what it's going to be. You might get involved in ministry. Whatever it is, I don't know. Or you might just start working on your own life and getting your life straightened out. Your thinking processes. Or those old habits that tear you down and chew you up. I don't know what it will be in your case. But when you give yourself over, you're giving your whole life. The body represents that. Over to Christ for His use. For His glory. And I'm going to tell you it will be for your good also. But that's what this is saying. Both of them are commands from God. And he doesn't say, and most of us like to do this, God, show me what you want me to do, and then I'll decide if I'm going to give myself over. Mm -mm. It's the other way around. You You don't go, okay, God, I don't really like what I see that you want me to do, so you know what, I'm going to hold back. He says, no, no, no. You give yourself as a living sacrifice, and then I will prove to you What is, and here's what it says, good and acceptable and perfect. Good means beneficial. Acceptable means pleasing to God. And perfect means it has a maturing effect in your life. Guess what that's called? That's called growing as a Christian. That's what's going to happen. Your life will go in that direction. I already mentioned (coughs) 2 Peter Um, uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 18, but it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded to grow and continue on on a daily basis. Present tense, it means continuous and ongoing. That's what it means. It's a command to continue. It's not like I've been a Christian for 20 years so I can slack off. Mm -mm. I've been a Christian almost 40 years. And I got to tell you, I am... Still working on it. And I don't think I'm any different than you are. One last one. I already quoted this one, but Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 12, it says, So then, my beloved, just as you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but uh, not merely in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's not working for your salvation. It's working out your salvation. It's already yours, but you're living it to the fullest. Your life is dedicated to him. My challenge today, and my time is up and I have one more point to do, is this. I'm not giving anybody any pressure. But I challenge you this week when you're reading the Bible, when you have a quiet time, or you make the time to sit back and say, you know what? Am I saved? No, I'm saved. What am I doing with my life? Am I going around little circles? Am I growing? Am I like a child with failure to thrive and I've never done anything? No Christian has an excuse in that direction because we have everything in Christ Jesus. Nobody has an excuse for not growing as a Christian. Some will grow faster than others. Some will do spectacular things and others will look mundane. And I tell you that in God's plan, His will is for some people to be steady Eddie 
and just take on. And he's going to give other people, they're going to rise to the top and everybody will know who they are. You know what? It really doesn't matter. All that matters is have I given my life over as a holy and living sacrifice to him. By the way, you may have said, you may say, you know, I did that a long time ago, but I crawled back off the altar. The command still stands. Get back on the altar. That's what it comes down to. One last thing, and I'm going to do this really quickly, is there's a future sanctification. It's future. If you're here, this isn't true of you, because you have to be in heaven for this one to be true. You have to be away from, apart from the presence of sin. No more sin, no more death, no crying, no any of those things. That's heaven. It's the promise to all believers, and it's the permanent place with God. Of course, that's heaven, and it's the future. I'll just give you one verse. There's plenty of them. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Notice, complete sanctification. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you. He will also bring it to pass. You know what? We started with it's all on Christ and it ends with it's all on Christ. But in between, he says, you need to make some choices to grow and become strong, to live out and use what God has entrusted to you. I know the parables and Jesus was not real happy with those who just took what had been given to them, the talents and the resources given, and they just buried it. He wasn't happy with them. The book of Revelation calls it lukewarm. He wasn't happy with them either. You see, what we have, God expects us to use. So if you're a Christian, he expects you to use everything that he has given you for his glory, for the benefit of those around you, for the world, so that others would come to Christ. So your life would be a shining testimony. In fact is, people would see a Christian. A little Christ. You're not going to be Christ. But they should see Christ in you and through you. Let's all stand together. Father, this morning we crammed a lot of information in a very short time. But Lord, we know that you have instructed us, commanded us to not only live to the fullest, but to live in such a way that our lives affect other people. Lord, thank you for the salvation in Jesus Christ, that complete and finished work. Thank you for the life that we can have here and now that counts, that we can walk worthy of all the great things you've done for us. And thank you for the promise for the future, that we will be with you, away from the presence of all the temptations and the sin and Satan and all the things that caused the grief and the battles in our lives. We thank you for it all. But Lord, this morning especially, I ask that you would work in people's lives so that they would be willing to present their bodies a holy and living sacrifice given totally over to you. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless. Go with God.